Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You were searching for something. Well, I saw some things. Not things per se, hallucinations, Roger Corman shit. It was kind of disappointing. There wasn't any of that. What was there? It's kind of hard to describe. I mean, you've done it, right? Acid, shit like that? No. All I can say is I saw for pretty certain that this... Everything we see and experience is not all there is. What else is there? Something else. But that's as far as I'm going to go with it. I, I don't fucking know. Alternate universes? Are you going to be a fucking comedian now? I'm not. Maybe. This is going to sound stupid. But I saw at one point that our mothers are... The bus drivers. But, no, they are the bus. See, they're the vehicle that gets us here. They drop us off and go on their way. They continue on their journey. And the problem is that we keep trying to get back on the bus. Instead of just letting it go. That's very insightful. Well, Jesus, don't act so surprised. You have these thoughts and, and you almost grab it. And then... That scene in Dr. Melfi's office happens soon after Tony's peyote experience in the Nevada desert, where in one moment he screams into the sunrise. I get it, as he understands the wordless truth about existence. You know these are shit show bonker times when Tony Soprano and Philip K. Dick agree on the idea of alternative universes. You know it. I get it! I get it! (laughs) But veils are being lifted in this age of Hermes. And Tony is right. Our mothers, the cosmic womb, dropped us off in this bad software reality and took off. 
Cybele or Matt. Sophia, actually. Sophia left her deformed son Yaldabaoth in the chaos along with us. And then she took off to do her thing. She took off to prepare for a distant war with her oldest offspring, perhaps. Maybe to break her addiction to drama. Who knows? The bus left us. She tore a hole in our universe. A gateway to another dimension. A dimension of pure chaos. And here we are, abandoned in a hostile simulation, the Black Iron Prison, a killing field run by algorithmic demons and video gaming gods. But meat sacks think this reality is all there is, can't accept they were abandoned and insist on belonging to this bad software reality. They are deluded into thinking the Cosmic Mother is watching over them when she's really on her own karmic mission. That causes endless suffering and pain. As Evelyn Underhill wrote, Sanity consists in sharing the hallucinations of our neighbors. A wise man once said, Reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. Ask yourself, what's more terrifying, fear or the frightened? But not us, we veterans of a thousand psychic wars, we freaks and outcasts. We know the game is rigged and the dice was loaded from the start. We accept our fall because we are fallen angels ourselves. We got this. And you know what else? We know there is more like Tony. That this life isn't the end. As the Nag Hammadi Library's Three Stellas of Seth states, The way of ascent is the way of descent. Know, therefore, as those who live, that you have attained. And you taught yourselves the infinite things. It's like... God's vagina. Thus, we grab onto those few moments of Satori, of seeing the ecstatic truth of existence, and we continue to explore the inner and outer dimensions of possibility and potential. Why? Because when it's time, we'll rejoin our mother Sophia, and we're fine that she had to do her thing, just as we had to do our own thing. When we unite, we'll go for that final war, that final completion. Break all those addictions and become once again whole and divine and innocent. I'll just get started on the apocalypse. Hey, I love you. Maybe, like the Gnostic Valentinians, we'll even bring our deformed brother the supreme being of this universe yelled about with us so he can make peace with his junky mother. Maybe. I am a god, you dull creature, and I will not be bullied by that. Puny god. It's the greatest adventure of so many lifetimes, 
and I'm always honored when you arrive to Aumbide for another I-get-it moment like Tony's. We're waking up together in this red pill cafeteria. We're running with those searching for the truth and avoiding those who have found it. We're writing our own gospel and living our own myth. Here in the desert of the real. This bad software reality. If it can be destroyed by the truth, it deserves to be destroyed by the truth. To learn more about those infinite things, we have the pleasure of being joined by Jonathan Barlow. He materializes at the virtual Alexandria to discuss the Pythagorean order of death and Neo-Sethianism. Jonathan is the author of over 50 books, all offered as free PDFs online. He has researched for decades the topics of metaphysics, mysticism, magic, and esoterica, intensely studying the works of the QBLH, John Dee's Enochian Theurgy, the Gnostic Apocrypha, Modern Science, and Ancient Histories. Get ready to have reality disbanded and your mind expanded in our interview with Jonathan, my beloved true seekers. It's all fun and games until someone loses a third eye, and then it's just gnosis. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. Ah, Mother Sophia, we have so much to learn. So much to recall, perhaps. Mother, should I build the wall? Is it just a waste of time? Or maybe it's all like what Quantum of Conscience said in a past show. Life is a game that can only be played, not won. Are you still out there, Athena? In your quest after you left us here along with Tony Soprano and Philip K. Dick? Do you hate us, mother? And regardless, do we have to rescue you, maybe? Oh, wild Shekinah in her tower of forgetfulness. Like you yourself said in the Pista Sophia, I am become as a demon apart, who dwelleth in matter and light is not in him. Under all these lives I've lived, something else has been growing. I've evolved into something new. And I have one last role to play. Myself. We're gonna need a bigger boat. But it's all good, and you listeners are doing great in the Black Iron Prison. You are awake, and you get it as often as it can be get. Time to reach your potential. Time to find your true purpose. Nothing has changed for you recently or a million years ago in this game of Saturn. The question of the ages, which I hope you and I will answer one day. All this, all these wonders of art, design, human ingenuity, all utterly meaningless in the face of the only question that matters. Where do it come from? And as my friend Chris Knowles wrote, No, seriously, you are part of a vast and eternal network of mine that has no beginning or end. 
You are no less important than a star or a planet or even a galaxy. The only reason you think so is because your immortal spirit is trapped in a rotting shell on some crappy little planet run by shitlords that's floating out in the middle of nowhere. But that's just a temporary inconvenience. And if you're willing to do the work, you can take yourself a field trip to the cosmos whenever you like. That is all. What's the journey I have to make? You have to make. Each of us has to make. You talk about something called a soul's high adventure. Follow your bliss. I mean, find where it is and don't be afraid to, to follow it. Ever wonder why we are so attracted to anti-heroes like Tony Soprano? Like the outline westerns? Walter White or your average self-destructive rock star? As Eric G. Wilson wrote in his book, Everyone Loves a Trainwreck, there are three reasons. One, anti-heroes give us a space for our shadow to play and become manifest, even dealt with. They are cathartic, like horror movies. You see, we are heaven and hell. And the unaddressed hell in us is why many are fascinated with serial killers or why 62% of women have rape fantasies. I know it wasn't rape rape. Two, we love a character who is beyond the banal but ultimately spirit-castrating rules, norms, and boundaries of traditional society. We love that they are free in ways we are not. Like effing Tyler Durden. Things you own end up owning you. And three, we know in our depths, in our heart of hearts, that the game is rigged and the dice was loaded from the start in this bad software reality. So we gravitate to those who push against consensus reality. Who, like Sophia, go on their personal journey at any cost and without giving a rat's ass. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Let us to our interview with Jonathan Barlow. Before, how about Abade from Philip Larkin, recited by Stewart from the show Devs? It will show you the price of buying, like meat sacks, into this bad software reality. Of thinking you ever belonged of deciding not to wait for Sophia to return from her war excursion and simply living to die. Mother did it need to be so high. I work all day and get half drunk at night. Waking at four to soundless dark, I stare. In time, the curtain edges will grow light. Till then I see what's always really there. Unresting death. The mind blanks at the glare. Not in remorse. The good not done, the love not given. Time torn off unused. But at the total Emptiness, whatever. 
the sure extinction that we travel to and shall be lost in always. Not to be here, not to be anywhere. And soon, nothing more terrible, nothing more true. This is a special way of being afraid. No trick dispels. Religion used to try. That vast moth-eaten musical brocade created to pretend we never die. And specious stuff that says no rational being can fear a thing it will not feel. Not seeing that this is what we fear. No sight, no sound, no touch or taste or smell. Nothing to think with. Nothing to love or link with. The anesthetic from which none come round. And so it stays just on the edge of vision. A small unfocused blur. A standing chill that slows each impulse down to indecision. Most things will never happen. This one will. This is the AM by interview. And with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by Jonathan Barlow Gee. Jonathan, thank you very much for coming on the show. And how are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure is all ours. As we talk, I love your body of work. You've done such great scholarship for many years from all these fascinating topics. Your insights are engaging. They're intriguing. Really good scholarship. I think our audience will love uh, your body of work and everything else. But before we get to that, I'd like to welcome to the Moondog Vans. Vans, how are you? Okay. Uh, just weathering power outages and so forth here in sunny California, but we'll hear about spiritual power now, right? Yes, we will. And uh, like I was telling you, maybe uh, Governor Newsom needed to save some money to pay for his tab at the French Laundry. So that's California because we are here in the middle of a snowstorm and the power is fine. So the spirits, the winter spirits are with us. So, so Jonathan, when I was doing all this research, I was like, God, you're like the the renaissance man of all these great topics your work goes back to like 2010 at least what i saw on youtube and read some of your books and uh, you remind me of uh, what i like to call sort of the the golden age of comparative mythology back in maybe 10 years ago when you had graham hancock acharya s timothy freak and many other researchers that were doing fascinating work on comparative mythology, uh, alternative archaeology, and this useful stuff that is, I, I feel, made the world better and uh, really expanded the consciousness of humanity. So how did you get into these esoteric topics? Well, it uh, goes back as far as the late 90s uh, of the last millennium, the last aeon. Uh, I was in high school and bored and started reading, uh, what was it? Time life's mysteries of the unknown series. I believe it was in, uh, the library at high school. And that's when I started researching these topics. 
after that, I just stayed with it. And uh, I keep researching them today, but uh, it seems that after a certain point, I kind of hit a peak or a plateau uh, where it seemed that I had learned as much as there was to know about most of these. And then I started coming up with my own theories based on what I'd learned. Yeah, great job. And for the audience, I would definitely suggest you check out his website and his YouTube channel for uh, so much good stuff. And we definitely want to hit on a lot of this good stuff on the show. So why don't we start with more or less the the, the central theme, I feel, of your work, or uh, at least at the very least, it's a starting point. And that is the Pythagorean order of death. Could you tell the audience what that is, Jonathan? Uh, certainly, that is a group that I created, uh, that uh, I created with a few other friends of mine after we left a uh, forum online where we all met. Uh, the forum uh, that we met at was uh, an Illuminati-themed forum, uh, and we all left it because we felt that it was doing a poor job representing that theme. Uh, we decided to, as our final degree uh, personal project, uh, create something that might reflect it uh, better, in our opinion. And uh, to that end, I created the Pythagorean Order of Death, after which uh, some of the original members, uh, some of the founding members left because they didn't like what I had created and wanted to do their own thing. Uh, but that was in probably 2007, uh, 2008, and uh, there's been a more or less continuous web presence for the POD uh, since then. Uh, the material has expanded a bit. Uh, there's been some amendments and uh, some uh, abridgments uh, released since then, but there's about... 13 degrees is split into about five different uh, 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 schools or uh, uh, systems. Uh, and each one of those has a PDF. Uh, and then there's the omnibus that's released more or less annually that updates uh, an abridged version from all of them. And uh, yeah. And are you able to share what are the, some of the tenets of the Pythagorean order of death? Uh, certainly. Uh, the basic tenets are that uh, the main goal is, uh, the mission statement is to disseminate the, uh, the information about what I call the uh, Atlantean democracy system of, of government, which is, in short, uh, an alternative proposition to uh, the document that seems to be, or one of the documents that seems to be the motivating driving force behind the modern, what could be called a new world order of the globalist uh, faction of the order of death. So the uh, Atlantean democracy system is an attempt to create an, uh, a pluralist, decentralized, minarchist, version of a global government as an alternative to a global monarchy. Uh, the history of the Atlantean democracy system uh, is 
complex and partially fictional at least, or at least partially speculative. Um, and so far as there's no way to prove it one way or the other. Uh, but um, the system, as far as I've designed or received or understood it to be, is basically dependent also on a free energy uh, system of uh, wireless electricity replacing the actual economy that we have today. So it's kind of a pipe dream in a sense, but um, maybe useful, maybe something that uh, in 100 or 200 years could be a cons uh, considered a useful goal to consider. And in the Pythagorean order of death, there's two types of individuals, the, the psychic conspirator and the psychic revolutionary. Who are those? Okay. Well, uh, the order of death itself, uh, which is a topic that I got the name for uh, from an Alex Jones documentary about the Bohemian Grove and a song by a public image limited with Johnny Rotten, the former singer of the Sex Pistols, uh, called Order of Death. Both of them are called Order of Death. And the way I've applied that term is to the group of all people who are aware that they are psychic or telepathic or to some extent clairvoyant. Uh, so in, in my experience, all living forms uh, all living beings, all life forms have the capacity for nonverbal or uh, non-physical communication. Uh, what we're doing right now, talking on the computer, is a form of uh, indirect communication. And uh, I believe that animals of more developed species also use a form of this. Uh, by passing messages along from one to another over greater distances. So I believe that uh, all life forms are at least in potential telepathic and that this manifests itself in uh, the higher evolved animal species as a kind of animal internet or a naturally living uh, connected uh, network of minds. So uh, I would call... Uh, the animal internet, uh, ubiquitous to all living beings, but the order of death is only the people, and presumably animals, but mainly the people, uh, who are aware that they are psychic uh, and who use their telepathic ability uh, and their potential for clairvoyance actively, more so than passively. Uh, of the order of death, there are two types, and those are uh, psychic uh, conspirators who want to continue to use their telepathy to convince people who don't believe in telepathy that they there is no such thing as telepathy and that telepathy is impossible and that it doesn't exist and that they don't have it uh, in order to disempower them and to continue to use their own telepathy to essentially rule the world. And those are the psychic conspirators within the order of death. 
who want to continue to use their powers over the cult of sleep, which are basically psychic life forms that have been convinced they aren't psychic or that they aren't telepathic or that they, for whatever reason, aren't allowed to uh, exchange ideas mentally only. Uh, the other form of person in the order of death is the psychic revolutionary. And the psychic revolutionary wants to free all minds to their full psychic uh, potential and to uh, reveal to everybody alive that we are all psychic and that there is uh, a mental only uh, ideal form of network that we all share and we can all communicate our ideas through it. Uh, that mental network would be the uh, Enochian communications system, which is a whole other topic. Yeah, we can definitely touch upon that topic. And yes, we've done many shows on the idea that all humans are psychic. At some point, we lost that ability or it was suppressed by the powers that be. So what you're talking is definitely uh, very known to the audience and very known to the ethos of this show. So moving ahead, could you tell us who are the Neosethians? Uh, the Neosethians are essentially the modern psychic conspirators in the order of death, uh, insofar as their agenda is to maintain power. Uh, but what their philosophy is, is the second comingism or uh, eschatological end of days uh, belief, which is based on 2000 at least 2000 year old prophecy uh the book of revelations and which they essentially believe that if they bring about these certain signs of the times for the end of days then they will be able to force a second coming of jesus which is highly problematic in my opinion because it involves essentially trying to destroy the world in order to summon god yeah <laughs> yeah we definitely don't want that and for example you mentioned in i forget what uh documentary or what youtuber you say that said, let's say somebody like alistair crowley would be a neo-sethian so is a neo-sethian by what he does or can we say this is sort of a a continuation or of a, of an ideology going down throughout history? Uh, a bit of both, definitely both. Um, he was, uh, Crowley himself was, uh, I would consider him to be Neosethian insofar as he brought about uh, a new age or welcomed the dawn of the new aeon. Uh, but I believe he did so in a way that was, in a sense, calendrically premature uh by about a hundred years and uh, if you look at in the book of law his own uh explanation for the term aeon it is a period of about two thousand years but if you look at the dates he gives for the speculated past aeons uh they don't correspond with that measurement so if you take just the measurement itself of an aeon and you apply it back then you have two thousand years before the present uh the time of jesus uh, 2,000 years before that, roughly the time of 
David and Solomon and, and Moses. Uh, 2,000 years before that, perhaps Abraham or Noah, uh, that era. And 2,000 years before that, you would have the uh, beginning of the universe according to the uh, biblical literalists. So uh, each eon, supposedly, there is a world savior archetype that manifests itself. And at the present, uh, or rather uh, 2,000 years ago, there was a group of Gnostics called the Sethites, and their main belief was in uh, the second coming of Seth at the time, who was the uh, third son of Adam and Eve, and the firstborn uh, mortal human who had both uh, wisdom from having inherited the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, as well as uh, was mortal and lacked the uh, tree of immortality uh, from the tree of life or the fruit of immortality from the tree of life. Um, so they believed in the Gnostic era that uh, Seth would resurrect or reappear or reincarnate. And when they saw Jesus, they were the earliest, some of the earliest converts to what we call today Christianity uh, because they became some of his closest followers, apostles and disciples. So now, uh, 2,000 years after that, or an aeon after that, uh, we have uh, Aleister Crowley attempting to explain to people that we were about to enter this, this new aeon, this new age of uh, vast changes to our society in the same sense as had happened with uh, Jesus and uh, even Muhammad some, I think, 400 years later, uh, the early era of the last eon was highly contentious and Crowley was essentially attempting to say we were entering into that phase uh the equinox of the gods and and so forth when the aeon one aeon changed over to another and this is part of a calendrical uh, uh cycle a natural cycle measured by the the calendar uh and if one uses aeons instead of months on a base 12 calendar uh one can use this structure to measure even the ice age cycles so to a certain extent this uh process or this cyclical uh every aeon there's a world savior type figure that manifests and uh exists uh is theoretically part of a naturally occurring cycle that also involves space weather, uh, the peak of the sunspot cycle, uh, the entrance of a plasma sheet in the galactic uh, orbit of the Earth and the sun around the galactic core, uh, as well as increased asteroids, um, even possibly an electromagnetic pole reversal, uh, possible crustal displacement, all of these sorts of things that uh, we've had people talking about, uh, quote unquote, disaster theorists talking about uh, for the last hundred years or so as part of entry into this new age. Uh, I would say Crowley was uh, attempting to, and I keep using the phrase attempting to, but uh, I'm not sure how to what extent he's really succeeded. But uh, I would say that definitely he was one of the people people who was trying to uh, bring awareness to this uh, 
this process. So what we have is uh, this group who is attempting some sort of apotheosis, becoming divine by bringing about the end of the world, and they work through uh, taking advantage of certain astrological or time cycles to gain this power. Is that basically uh, a, su- a good summary, Jonathan? A hundred percent. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. I would say that. That's the tagline or the, the elevator pitch. If Crowley was like walking in the, man, we can end the world and we can all become God and ta ta ta. We could do it this way. And this must go back probably, I mean, as your work has shown and for the audience, Jonathan has tons of charts, uh, gematria, uh, maps. I mean, everything. It's just, it's a huge body of work and, um, he puts a lot of evidence in this. Can we say this goes back to the days of Atlantis? Well, uh, again, this, this, uh, steps into the field of speculation, right? Of course. Because uh, if you were to say, for example, what do I believe about all of this? I'm not sure I believe in any of it. Uh, I want it to all be a voluntary and an optional type of philosophy that any of this exists and is relevant in any way. Uh, Part of wanting people to wake up to their psychic potential and being a psychic revolutionary myself means that uh, we have to realize that all of these uh, myths are partially fictional or have become fictionalized in the history of them, but that um, they still can teach us a core moral uh, lesson. So, for example, the myth of Atlantis, uh, whether or not that's uh, 100% valid and accurate description of the past history prior to uh, archaeological evidence for some kind of world flood or great deluge. Um, it can still teach us a valuable moral lesson for ourselves today about the application of certain forms of technology and the ability for ourselves to destroy ourselves using that technology and uh, why we shouldn't pursue that well said indeed i would agree for some reason i'm thinking of i think it's irenaeus or epiphanius talking about the the ophites trying to cast or the canites i believe actually trying to uh, cast uh, magic to bring down heaven upon earth and destroy the world so that definitely had some neo-sethian vibe or original sethian vibe so uh vance from your standpoint what do you think about what he's saying of course i've read uh many of his books i've seen a lot of his videos on youtube but from your perspective uh how does it sound well, it's interesting. Um, I don't know enough about it to really form a full opinion. But one question I had was, Jonathan, uh, why is it called the order of death? How does how does death factor into the you know the global governance and ESP and so forth? Well, that's a great question. Um, this is something that I haven't participated in personally because, uh, again, I see no. Uh, personal benefit from it or even social benefit, but the majority of the uh, esoteric schools of mystery uh, and the secret societies that practice uh, modernly what we would traditionally consider magic uh, 
all of them involve some sort of death-centered ritual uh, at some point in their degree system where the individual has to undergo what they call ego death. And uh, in many of them, this is forced upon them or even brought about in a surprising way, which is traumatic to the ego. Uh, uh, for example, the third degree of uh, the Blue Lodge of uh, Freemasonry nowadays involves a uh, ritual where one is uh, ceremonially buried alive, almost in a sense. Uh, and this is the purpose of this, the moral of this is to encourage people to meditate on their own mortality uh, and to think about themselves as a finite, a, a temporally finite being uh, and to encourage them to think, well, what can I do while I'm here in this lifetime that would help improve the situations that I see? Uh, of course, it's all very ethically uh, ambiguous. After that, how one applies that uh, knowledge and what they what they learn from that moral, uh, but all of them do have that particular uh, death obsession in common, and I I think that that may be what distinguishes, for example, the cult of sleep who are psychic but believe themselves to not be from the order of death who are those who know that they are psychic is having meditated upon one's own mortality and. Uh, understood the magnitude of that uh, meaning in their own personal lives. Yeah. How about life after death? Do you think in, in this system, can you use ESP to communicate with souls that have passed from the physical world or how does that work? Well, again, this is something that I don't practice doing. And for, from my perspective, it's speculative, although uh, there are ample, there's ample evidence of people that, uh, believe that to be possible and who do use their uh, abilities to do something similar to that, at least. Uh, I'm not going to say that those people are 100% right or 100% wrong, uh, just that from my personal experience, it remains uh, speculative, and I can't say certainly uh, for sure one way or another, but it shouldn't be ruled out at all. Yeah, fair enough. You know, one more thing I had... Uh before um, Miguel continues with his questions, a lot of people would hear global governance as a bad thing, you know, like a, a bunch of tyrants trying to rule people and kill off a lot of people for the benefit of the entire earth and so forth. Uh, uh, I assume the global governance that you're talking about, uh, you know, Atlantean based is something different than the kind of globalism that people are talking about, or is it? Uh, it's a, meant to be a 180 degree opposite from that philosophy of that globalism has to be evil. Uh. Uh, and uh, Atlantean democracy is, as I've tried to line it out or uh, lay it forth, is that uh, the premise is that the uh, global government, even if it's inevitable, doesn't have to impinge in any way on the day-to-day -day free lives or rights of individuals. Uh, civil liberties should be maximized under such a situation, uh, in my personal opinion, and in no way minimized. Yeah, I, I agree. 
How about centralization versus uh, um, do you believe in uh, layers of governments or or like just one huge global government? Uh, well, the the uh, Atlantean democracy system basically has a very small uh, central government uh, that has no army. It has no ability to enforce its dictates. Its so-called dictates would be more like philosophical recommendations. Uh, it's meant to, in a form, uh, of, uh, in a sense, entrap uh, the people who would self-select into positions of authority over others uh, into this almost American gladiators-like uh, situation where they then debate or even fight and kill each other uh, to determine the, the you know, who, whose point is valid. But uh, because they have no uh, no real say over anybody else's personal lives in the whole world, uh, it would just be a form of almost entertainment uh, to see these so-called philosopher kings uh, battle it out uh, in rhetoric and uh, even possibly physically, just to determine you know what they think is the right course of action for humanity when you know nobody has to abide by their uh, their findings. Interesting. What do you think, Miguel? Yeah, it is very interesting. Uh, I was going to ask, uh, of course, when we start getting into these topics, it's inevitable that we ask about uh, the reptilians. And, of course, you deal with reptilians in a lot of your work. Uh, what's your What's your take on them? Well, um, I believe the reptilian hindbrain is more or less uh, an acceptable description for the uh, rear uh, cerebrum's organelles or their suborgans uh, because it occurs even in reptiles. It's basically what a reptile's brain looks like is the back portion of our own brains. So when one is, uh, when a human, uh, when a person is using these parts of their brain more than their forebrain or their midbrain, uh, they're acting in a reptilian type of fashion and they're thinking in a reptilian type of fashion. Uh, the people who, you know, kind of hide in that or cloak themselves in that, uh, that sensation of fear versus love being the ultimate uh, lifeline of, you know, those are the only two options that they see because that's their binary and they think in a simpler format of, of reality than mammals or people um these people are in a sense de-evolving uh even now from being the complete mammals and the complete human beings that they could be so in the future what i believe will happen in one possible future is that the people who are currently expressing this reptilianist or reptilianism uh now this this trait of being uh fear-driven and uh, curious about other emotions but unable to understand them, uh, these people will eventually uh, create a subspecies of humanity uh, that will itself continue to evolve as well. So the people that are more or less reptilians now will eventually their subspecies group 
will become more like avians or birds uh, in some format, uh, perhaps like the angels are depicted, the cherubim are depicted in ancient art uh, with wings symbolically, uh, and other subspecies of humanity will also form uh, along with them, which will be more mammalian uh, or more insectoid even, uh, as they would go up or down the evolutionary uh, ladder. And then this will form a kind of class structure or class system and a social hierarchy between these different groups of what I've called animal factions uh, or animalistic factions. Yeah, I've and, always... Uh, I'm this sorry. Is what I, in this in, sorry, I cut out for a minute. But this entire uh, description of reality is what I refer to as the worst future world line of three possible future world lines and the better one being a return to Atlantean democracy. So in this sense, I believe if we can, if we continue to follow in the direction of the protocols, uh, then we'll end up de-evolving into uh, animalistic subspecies. And uh, if we follow Atlantean democracy or any other alternative, then we'll end up in a better world line in the future and uh, things will continue to evolve and progress upward. I agree with you that the whole lizard people has to be, or is people who are dominated by their base uh, emotion, not even emotional, but predatory part. And sometimes I miss David Icke talking about the reptile people because I think that's what he was talking about too, not taking them that literally, if you would. And uh, has your views changed with uh, the strangeness in 2020 and the continued strangeness of 2021? Or do you think this is just part of the cycle? Well, uh, the way I understand the cycle is that it is... uh peaking currently uh between 2000 the year 2000 uh when on may 5th there was an alignment of the seven planets of antiquity until uh december 21st 2021 or sorry 2012 now uh the past no longer the future uh when uh the sun and earth and galactic core all aligned as predicted by the mayans um, then that was the peak, uh, 11 year period in the, uh, sunspot cycle for the Aeon. Uh, so, uh, we saw the maximum amount of solar activity then, which caused the maximum amount of, uh, essentially heat in the global atmosphere. And everybody, uh, could identify that as either global warming or as uh, climate change, either one, uh, because it was exacerbated by human pollution, but it wasn't entirely caused by it. So uh, at this point in that cycle, we're at a peak for space weather activity. Uh, and also, I believe, at a period of convergence between these timelines uh, in uh, comparison to Aleister Crowley's uh, concept of the equinox of the gods, I think that uh, when uh, one aeon calendrically rolls over into the next, uh, it corresponds to all of these uh, astronomical or astrological type events. Uh, 
And uh, what you see on the earth during that period of time is usually a period of great social upheaval and uh, a lot of philosophies forming, a lot of so-called false prophets and a lot of uh, so-called magicians, self-proclaiming magicians running around that, you know, 600, 400 years ago, you wouldn't have seen that many and that that's uh, the cause. But I do believe that after the year 2029, uh, these timelines will begin to diverge again and the peak uh, sunspot cycle phase will be diminishing and that what we've called global warming will begin to wane and descend into a cooling phase. Yeah, you mentioned too in your work uh, the great burners that happen or represent peak of the sunspot cycle. For example, you talk about Ahura, Mazda, Shemesh, Ishtar. Uh, who are these great burners? Uh, well, the idea of a great burner is essentially that of the cultural hero or world savior that I mentioned earlier, that every 2,000 years or so, there's this uh, person that comes along that brings forth or ushers in all of this change uh, culturally and socially and spiritually even. Uh, for example, uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus would have could have been considered a great burner. Uh, the uh, concept of uh, Tezcatli Poca and of Kukul Khan, those were based on the uh, same sort of premise uh, Noah, uh, Zayasudra or Utnapishnim, uh, would have been one of these as well after having preserved culture from destruction in the flood. Uh, anyone who brings about a massive social change, uh, even, uh, Martin Luther during one of the, uh, periods of lower solar activity and, uh, a colder era could be considered a form of, uh, burner or great burner uh john d as well uh again muhammad uh the prophet of islam uh even though these are on off periods in the 2000 year aeonic cycle they more or less still overlap with a 500 year cycle that occurs uh uh within that do you have any speculation, Jonathan, or who might be a burner today as we speak? I certainly don't. I mean, um, I'm trying to rack my brain. <laughs> I see a lot of false prophets, that's for sure, but no burners. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the only difference is really capitalization, I think. Uh, anybody can bring data forth, be a world teacher, but uh, especially nowadays with the uh, cybernetic internet anybody can teach the entire world whatever they want uh but in terms of being a world savior the information they teach has to be beneficial uh not just to them personally in terms of making the money but it has to improve the situation socially for the entire world uh and not even just humanity uh but for our equilibrium with nature and other species as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's likely that, uh, between aeonic peaks, uh, there are lesser burners who are more like false prophets or, or, uh, 
proselytes or people that uh, profit from uh, the profiteer from making prophecies. Uh, and then at the peak of the cycle, you may have somebody who is more earnest, more honest, and isn't in it just for uh, a buck uh, and uh, maybe can make a larger difference. But then again, maybe not. So, How about George Soros? Arguably, no matter whether you think he's funding good or bad causes, uh, openly claims to be trying to influence society on a global basis with lots and lots of influence and money. So is he a possible burner? Uh, more likely, uh, uh, from the perspective of the psychic conspirators, yes. Uh, from the perspective of psychic revolutionaries, he'd be the opposite. Um, somebody who's trying to uh, quell the fire of human psyche uh, from flourishing. In uh, so far as you know, the causes, the causes that any philanthropist backs, be they good or evil, uh, popularly or according to the populist uh, populace, uh, whatever causes they back, they're doing it financially. So even Elon Musk, as perhaps a political counterexample, uh, is applying financial uh, gains that he made, perhaps scrupulously or unscrupulously, by inventing PayPal, uh, I think. Uh, he's applying those, those uh, financial gains to going to Mars and creating Neuralink and the, the Skylink satellite system, whatever those are. Uh, and again, he, he probably believes that he's doing the right thing and for the right reasons and that what he's doing is benevolent and beneficent and good and will improve society and, and humanity and nature in general. Uh, in a sense, only time can determine uh, whether or not he's right or wrong. But, you know, from learning, learning from past history, uh, if you look at people who have gone before, who have attempted to uh, force global uh, or globalist agendas to occur, uh, you have people like Alexander the Great or uh, Julius Caesar or Napoleon or Hitler uh, or George W. Bush, and these are all people that are considered, in hindsight, less popular than they were during their own lives, which I think is an interesting point about the uh, great burner or a true messiah or prophet would be that during their own lives, they're vilified. They're completely uh, shunned and exiled at best, if not crucified, murdered uh, violently. So... Uh, in a sense, it does behoove psychic revolutionaries as long as we or they are the minority to remain more or less in the shadows or secretive or occult even uh, so that we don't get murdered by the people who are in charge who want their, pol their political agendas to be seen historically as right and good, uh, but that don't want any alternatives to be allowed. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I like, um, I've always said that globalism would be great if the people that were, you know, in, uh, were ruling in an enlightened manner as opposed to just power for its own sake. So I love it.
I would agree, but uh, they want to be gods on this earth and they want complete control over society and all the resources. So I don't see one right now. And uh, good point how they're vilified. Again, we can talk about how Mohammed was on his heels most of his life. And of course, uh, the great uh, example would be Jesus, somebody who, as you said, was vilified, paid with his life and so forth. But Jesus is an interesting one, don't you think, Jonathan? Because in reality, he pretty much was a nobody when he died, and he really was a nobody for several generations. I mean, he had his loyal group, and the religion grew, and it grew, but it took centuries before it really uh, spread across the earth. So what do you think about that one, that uh, somebody has, uh, he had no footprint at the beginning? Yeah, I agree. Uh, It's tragic, and I think a lot of his ethical teachings that uh, he spoke himself personally got twisted in the uh, not just the first few hundred years that following his life and death, but definitely uh, after the institutionalization of Catholicism uh, as a, as a global force since then, uh, I think his ethical teachings have are, are all but lost on the ears of modern, the majority of modern Christians even. And you, who do you think was his original inner circle? Uh, you said it might have been the Sethians. Can we say that uh, basically Mary Magdalene was, you might say, uh, his right-hand man or woman? Uh, what, what, how do you feel about the original Christians? Well, from my research on this uh, topic, what it appears to me is though uh, is as though uh, the New Testament Gospels themselves uh, may be Roman forgeries. They may be written in the first uh, 100 years or so following the life of Christ uh, by people, uh, plenty of the elder, the younger, uh, possibly for the uh, Peso family or for the uh, Augustinian emperors, uh, as a means of propaganda to encourage people to uh, succumb to imperialism by turning the other cheek and only using nonviolence uh, as a as a methodology. Uh, however, uh, I do believe also that uh, the person of Jesus uh, or the character that uh, the person in the New Testament was based on was an actual living individual uh, who did uh, certain uh the taught certain uh, uh certain gnostic i suppose one could say uh beliefs uh two thousand years ago and uh may have used uh what could be considered today a form of magic uh ritualist or ceremonial magic uh to perform something that would be considered by a uh, Subsequent believers is miracles, uh, miracles of healing, uh, as opposed to dark magic. But nevertheless, uh, uh, if you read, for example, the uh, uh, was it the Babylonian Talmud, I believe, of the era, describes this uh, Yeshu and his trial as uh, that of a magician who was. Uh, using a name of God that he had gotten from an Egyptian uh, temple uh, to 
you know, essentially break the rabbinical laws that said you shouldn't practice any form of uh, spiritual uh, uh, act or uh, healing practice even uh, on Sabbaths, uh, Saturdays. So when he did that, uh, they considered him a criminal or a black or dark wizard, uh, tried him and put him to death. And it was relatively unceremonious at the time. Uh, it didn't make necessarily the biggest stir in the uh, Roman Empire when a uh, supposed terrorist from Judea was executed. Uh, it was not as big a deal even as when uh, Osama bin Laden was executed nowadays uh, because at the time Jesus wasn't even the greatest of the terrorist uh, groups active in Judea. Uh, Judas Iscariot and the uh, the uh, Herodian, anti-Herodian Maccabians were. But um, it seems to me that the uh, original group of Jesus's apostles and disciples were comprised of the Essenes of some members of the Essenes of Qumran, uh, some members of the Iskari or the Sicari uh, assassins uh, uh, group of uh, political terrorists uh, some members of just basic Gnostic or uh, Coptic uh, philo philosophical and religious belief systems. And uh, that, uh, for example, James the Just, there's a lot of uh, modern speculation that he was a brother uh, by blood to Jesus, but I suspect that it was probably a half-brother uh, who had the same father but a different, uh, or rather who had the same mother but a different father. Uh, in the in the trial documents, they uh, compare Yeshu to a uh, like uh, someone who had been uh, sired by uh, 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 well. In the Babylonian Talmud trial documents, they describe Yeshu as by comparing him to someone who had been sired by uh, a foreigner on. Uh, the wife of a high priest. But this means either that Jesus himself was similarly to that person, uh, a bastard of a Roman soldier and uh, the wife of, say, uh, Shimei and Caiaphas, for example, uh, is left open to interpretation. So it's it's impossible to say with certainty but there is a high degree of likelihood that Jesus uh, was born uh, from the rape of his mother by a Roman soldier who was, uh, his mother was the wife of the high priest of the Essene community at Qumran, who were the exiled high priests from uh, Jerusalem over the state of Israel that had become Judea. Um, so when, uh, if if you look in the uh, the Bible, when Jesus was born, his parents fled with him into Egypt. Uh, he spent time there and supposedly, according to the Babylonian Talmud, stole uh, the name of God from a temple there. Uh, and then when he returned, he returned to Qumran uh, and was unwelcome. Uh, they called him the wicked priest in their documents and said that James the Just, who was his half-brother, uh, who is the rightful son of uh, Jesus's mother and uh, 
Jesus's stepfather, who was the high priest. Uh, they said James the Just was the rightful heir, and Jesus was a an upstart. So what I believe happened then was that Jesus went across the Dead Sea to the east coast of it, the east shore. Uh, Qumran was on the west coast of it. He went across the Dead Sea and wrote what's been called the Angel Scroll, in which I believe he wrote down the name not only of uh, God that he stole from the temple in Egypt, but also names of various other uh, magical incantations that he could use to uh, create miraculous seeming uh, events. Uh, the Angel Scroll since then is the only way that we know that somebody named Yeshua Ben Paddy even existed 2000 years ago from an archeological perspective, uh, as opposed to just uh, rumors in later literature. Uh, and the angel scroll itself is, has only been publicly admitted to existing uh, once by Stephen Fan of uh, the University of the Holy Land uh, in 1999, and then was subsequently redacted or retracted by him as being uh, an accurate uh, or legitimate piece of apocrypha. Uh, he was only shown it by its uh, owner in a private collection, and he didn't release the owner's name. Uh, so all we have to prove that this document itself even exists is one circumstantial uh description by Stephen Fan uh, nowadays. And uh, other than that, there's no proof that Jesus himself ever wrote anything down. Uh, yeah. So the early Christians themselves would have all been going on hearsay uh, on like the writings in the gospel of Thomas who wrote down the sayings of Jesus uh, and these sorts of things Whereas uh, in reality, there there was likely a book that Christ or that Jesus himself wrote. And that was the angel scroll of Yeshua Ben Padia. Yeah, I love your reconstruction. Uh, great work. And I lean towards uh, being a mythicist. But as I tell people, my second option would be Jesus the Magician. And uh, I think it's so obvious when you start digging in. And, of course, you've got the work of Morton Smith and Robert Connor and others. Uh, Jesus was definitely a magician of the ancient times, uh, probably battling the Nephilim and the Archons and other beings on high spiritual places while performing some uh, stuff down here on earth. And what about something like, um, you mentioned the Gospel of Thomas. What about something really of high philosophy, high theology, complex, like the secret book of John or the Apocryphon of John, as some call it? Where do you think this comes from? Uh, original teachings of Jesus? Or is this a, a later work by some very... Uh, mystic ecstatic gnostics uh i'd say it's in that particular instance of an apocrypha it's got its own particular history uh it, i'm pretty sure i haven't read it recently enough to be 100 percent sure but i'm pretty sure it was written uh or at least said after the crucifixion and after the resurrection of christ uh and it's uh jesus explaining to john 
uh, the apostle, the uh, nature of cosmology, uh, the afterlife, and for example, the spirits that rule over the different parts of the human body, uh, and explaining that there's a, an aura or a unique soul that governs every living thing, including every blade of grass. Uh, so it's possible, it's most likely, pardon me, that that was taught by Jesus to his apostle, uh, John, during the lifetime of Jesus, that John wrote it down as being taught to him after the death of Jesus by the reincarnated or re, uh, resurrected Christ. Uh, and then it was written down again by another scribe following that uh, from the account of John, the uh, apostle, and the the later scribe uh, may have taken a few also uh, uh, liberties with the text. So it's possible that, uh, well, it's definite there's a grain of truth in it, but it's also possible that uh, there's a large degree of subsequent translational errors or accidental obfuscations along the way. We are at the end, Jonathan. Uh, could you please share with the audience links to your work? Because we only did a, a sliver of your overall research. So let the audience where they can find out more about you on the Internet. Okay. Um, I have a couple of websites of my own uh, that you can go to that don't depend on social media where I'm likely, as we all are, eventually to be deplatformed from. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Uh, my main site is benpadia.com, uh, B-E-N-P-A-D-I-A-H, after Yeshua Ben Padia and the Angel Scroll. Uh, my secondary site is the Pythagorean Order of Death.ning.com, which the Pythagorean Order of Death is all one word. And then dot n-i-n-g dot com. Uh, I also post my uh, PDFs of all my ebooks to issue dot com, which is i-s-s-u-u dot com, uh, under the username Ben Patia. Uh, I'm on YouTube as user Ben Patia, B-E-N-P-A-D-I-A-H, uh, and. Other than that, it's just social media sites. So I can be found on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I have a Patreon page. No one's donated. Uh, I have an old MySpace account and a Reverb Nation for my uh, rap songs. And uh, one of those is also about the history of the pyramids. So if you wanted to learn more, you could check that out in song format. Awesome. And as always, we'll have some links in our show notes, audience. But we are at the end. Vance, thank you for keeping us company on this fascinating journey. Yeah, it has been fascinating. Jonathan, it's been a great pleasure to hear all about all the things you know. And um, I know there's even more. So perhaps another time. Indeed, it was a fascinating conversation and audience check out more of Jonathan's work because you will go to you will go down some wonderful rabbit holes and you are going to learn a lot. So Jonathan, uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for all the work you've done. And thanks for coming on Aeon Byte. Thank you so much, guys. And thanks for letting me ramble. Uh, thanks for doing what you do. Uh, I'm glad to have uh, been here.
and I hope everybody enjoys uh, enjoys my work. And there you have it, my beloved truth seekers. The first part of our interview with Jonathan Barlow. What a brilliant mind and researcher, and more to come. In our second part, Jonathan talks about how Mary Magdalene might be the driving force behind the Nag Hammadi Library, and a lot of insights behind the dark eldritch Gospel of Judas. Jonathan will expand on Mary Magdalene in some cool ways, as well as the Gnostic Gospels. He'll give us his views on Paul and Abraxas, Enoch and the Nephilim. Jonathan will move into science and astronomy to bolster his ideas. And we will address conspiracy theories in our modern time, including QAnon. You know I asked him about the Egyptian pyramids, but I bet you didn't know I asked him about Star Wars Sith theology and why it relates to Aeon Bight and more. I won't go into my usual logory on supporting the show, but please support in any way you can and become an AB Prime member or Patreon at Patreon for the second part of the show and so many other cool bonuses. Please help grow this red pill cafeteria. I can't do it without you. As you know, I don't take advertisers, even as many reach out to me these days. I work for you and only you. So if you find value in what I'm doing, it's actually ridiculously cheap to support. A few bucks a month or whatever you can contribute. And I know these are hard times for many financially. So if you just need any full episode, let me know. I'll give it to you on the casa. Do it all the time and no worries. I hope you're enjoying this journey, this brief mania and ecstasy. This meeting of Sophia as we all go on a journey. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye. As always, enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM. You'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code Champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotion promotional offer not available in washington dc at parker our purpose is simple We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. 
by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.